0: Part of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. So the 2021 Major League Baseball season is underway. We're just a past a week of baseball action. I have spent each day in March and the first week plus of April previewing all 30 Major League Baseball teams in alphabetical order. So today is April 9th and I conclude with the Washington Nationals. <laughs> So, before I get into the nats, I just wanted to thank every single person who has listened to this series for listening, for downloading, for your support. It was 30 teams in 30-ish days, for sure, because I'm finishing up just a bit through April, but I wanted to take a second. If you enjoyed these episodes, please, please, please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating and review and let me know what you thought about these. It was really fun to go through all these teams. I hope you feel a bit more of an expert about every single team or you have some high expectations for your team in this long, full 162-game season in 2021. So let's get into it and finish things up with the Washington Nationals. Of course, the, the horrors of 2020 to say the least, didn't go away completely in this 2021 season. The Nats debut, their opening day was postponed because they were dealing with internal COVID problems. So instead of having opening day, the opening primetime series on ESPN against the division rival New York Mets, the Nats weren't able to start until this Tuesday against the Braves. They're already having to have doubleheaders early to make up for games. But hopefully over the course of this season we'll see fewer and fewer COVID problems and already some of these players are anticipated back soon. But I'll go over as usual. Last year, my impressions on the few games that the Nats have played so far in 2020 before recapping the offseason, going through position battles, starting pitching, relief pitching, bench, and prospects before I finish up with the Pakota standing for the Nats and what I see as the philosophy of this team. So it is really tough to do this season preview because we have seen such a unique group of players on the field. If I had done this preview seven days ago, it would have been different. So I'm going to do things a little bit different. I'll talk about who has played so far, but I'm going to focus on who will we will be seeing more of in the future when the Nats are fully healthy. But I'll just start. In 2020, the Nationals had their World Series hangover after winning their first championship in team history in 2019. They were 26-34 and in 2020. And then in 2021, they have lofty hopes in what I have mentioned as the most competitive division in baseball in the NL East. So far, the Nats are 1-2. Their first series against the Mets was postponed. Their first game against the Braves was postponed and then since they beat the Braves once on their first game of the season on their opening day, dropped the next two, and then today on Friday they begin their second series against the Dodgers. The Nats have a rough go of things at the beginning. If the COVID pause hadn't happened, their first few series would have been against the Mets, the Braves, the Dodgers, and the Cardinals. Now they have the Braves, the Dodgers, and the Cardinals. That is tough. The Cardinals are pesky, if nothing else. So the Nats already are getting tested early. So let's get into what the opening day lineup looked like. Because like I said, when I talk about position battles, I'm going to talk about who we will see when when the Nats are healthy. The opening day lineup looked like this. In center field was Victor Robles. At shortstop was Trey Turner and in right field was Juan Soto. That is pretty normal. That is exactly what the Nats would have hoped for. Then at first base, you had Ryan Zimmerman, who in a blast from the past, this would have been normal, but the Nats went out and signed Josh Bell this offseason to give more time at first base to him instead of Ryan Zimmerman, who is definitely at the end of his career. At third base, you had Starling Castro, who I think will be more of a... Normality this year, or more normalcy for Castro at third base because of Carter Kaboom. At second base, you had Hernan Perez, definitely not a name that I knew going into the season. Luis Garcia also started at second base in game three against the Braves. You had Andrew Stevenson in left field and Jonathan Lucroy behind the plate. Trace Borea a high prospect in the Washington system, also started at catcher in game three. Game one, no surprise here, Max Scherzer, one of the best pitchers in the history of baseball, started game one. So that was nice. But a lot of those names the Nats never in a million years would have expected to have in their opening day lineup. They ended up walking off the Braves in game one. So it worked out pretty well for them. But now let's wrap up this offseason. It was a relatively active one. They picked up Josh Bell from the Pirates. He'll be seeing a lot of time at first base. They also picked up Kyle Schwarber who had a very down 2020, but who the Nats think will bounce back and be a nice power bat for them in the middle of their lineup. They picked up Brad Hand who is the saves leader in baseball last year along with John Lester for some nice starting pitching depth and then Jonathan Lucroy they added in the first weekend of the season because their two catchers had gone down on the COVID list so they literally needed somebody behind the plate. They ended up signing Lucroy who has a great reputation, a veteran, and a great leader around the league. They also parted ways was Kurt Suzuki through their two-way tandem of Suzuki and Jan Gomes for the past two seasons is now a one-man show with Jan Gomes. Michael A. Taylor also went to the Royals. Anibal Sanchez is no longer a part of the starting rotation. Sean Doolittle is no longer in the rotation. And Adam Eaton went over to the White Sox this offseason. Not a ton of holes that the Nats needed to fill. This team is two years removed now from a World Series championship. They lost Anthony Rendon, their homegrown third baseman. I really think it's a toss-up between him and Nolan Arenado being the best two third basemen in the game. They lost him to the Angels, a $245 million contract. That was a huge blow. But the Nats signed back Steven Strasburg. They're hoping to see the peak of Juan Soto's career, along with having one of the best leadoff bats in the game and Trey Turner and renewed power from Bell and Schwarber. The Nats have big expectations. It's going to see, it, it, it is still up really to see how this team will do. So now let's go to the position battles. Jonathan Lucroy, I mentioned, has started the few first few games. Trace Berea has also caught one game. Jan Gomes, though, went healthy. Will be behind the plate. It is, it will be interesting to see if Max Scherzer picks a personal catcher. He has pitched well with Alex Avila, who is on the roster as a backup to Jan Gomes, but I think it'll be more Avila will only play when Gomes needs an off day. Josh Bell at first, so he had a very hot spring training. He had a one OPS, which was the highest among all qualified hitters in spring training they're hoping to see that level the 2019 version of Josh Bell versus the 2020 version of Josh Bell when he hit 226 and had a 77 7, 77 weighted runs created plus that's well below league average whereas in 2019 he hit 37 home runs and his weighted runs created plus was 135 30, 35% better than league average Bell is also top 10 in both of those categories. I think if they find the medium, that'll be perfect. But he definitely slots in as the cleanup hitter or the five batter. And he and makes this lineup much more dangerous, especially because at the top, you have some really nice table setters and Turner and Robles and Soto. And then you can get some real power from Bell and Schwarber. Second base, this position was up for grabs. Without COVID, I would have given it to Josh Harrison who has really been a super utility guy for the Nats. He spent eight years in Pittsburgh and 2019 in Detroit. He is a two-time All-Star. He started the year on the COVID list. Perez and Garcia have spent time there so far. I don't think you see too much movement until potentially Carter Kaboom graduates to the major, Major League level. Maybe Starling Castro moves over to second. We'll see what happens there, as Drupal Cabrera has manned that position for the last few years. He won the championship with them in 2019, and now it's up to Josh Harrison to really man this position when he comes back. At third base, Starling Castro. What have I talked about as, what is the most value that a pitcher brings? It's going out on the mound and throwing innings. Starling Castro embodies that very well positionally. He played 162 games in 2019 with Miami. All 162, that is becoming so much less common, just with off days and injuries and all that. Starling Castro is valuable because he doesn't get hurt very often and he always plays. He's a career 98 OPS plus guy, just under league average, but I think he's a really nice durable leadership option for this otherwise pretty young Washington club. At shortstop, you definitely know this guy, Trey Turner. Definitely one of the top 25 to 30 players in all of baseball. He finished 7th in MVP voting last year, 2nd in Rookie of the Year voting back in 2016. He's only been in the league for a few years, but he's already developed into such a steady, consistent player. Talking about consistency, his lowest OPS plus since 2016 was 101. He's had 33 plus stolen bases in each full season, since 2016, and he led the league in hits in 2020. He is a pure hitter. His home run, his power numbers don't pop off the page, but he gets on base. His OBP is really high. He's a really great top of the lineup bat, great at shortstop, and he steals bases, which is a lost art. He can wreak it on the base pass, and it, he is a tough out for pitchers. Now we move to the outfield. When healthy, I think there might be a little bit of flexibility with Juan Soto and Kyle Schwarber switching between the corner spots. Right now I'll put Juan Soto in left field. He actually had his first career walk-off RBI and it came in the Nationals' first game of the season. The first game since fans were in the stand since back in October of 2019 when the Nats won the World Series. So that's kind of a cool Ode to Soto, and it's also an ode to everything Soto embodies and can be for this club. He might be the first five hundred million dollar man. My co-host on the Did You Hear podcast, Pat Sang, certainly thinks though, thinks, thinks so. He could be an MVP candidate year after year. People aren't as upset that Bryce Harper is no longer on the Nats because they have Juan Soto. People have actually been saying that they would prefer. Juan Soto over Bryce Harper. This guy is absolutely unbelievable. He's drawing comparisons to Ted Williams, and he is 22 years old. He led the National League in batting average and OPS last year. He played in 47 games and reached base in all but four of them. And then really he came onto the scene in the 2019 World Series where he was 9 for 27. He hit a record three home runs, two of them, coming off of Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander. He is already an elite company and the future of this team and this franchise is really in his hands. As The Athletic puts it, the Nationals can't afford to not pay him. This is not a guy that you let get even close to free agency. The Nats need to lock him down and soon. That honestly could be the most important thing this season to sign Juan Soto to a long-term deal before the end of the season. In center field, you have Victor Robles, who is a really interesting story because he came onto the scene as a 15-year-old from the Dominican Republic, known for his speed, known for his raw power and his defensive ability. And then at the end of 2019 and through 2020 with the COVID shutdown and the break, he started putting on a lot of muscle, a lot of weight, so that he could turn into a power hitter. And it really derailed his numbers. He really, really struggled in 2020. He struck out in 28% of his plate appearances, which was the 23rd highest rate in the majors. When you consider how many players play, that is very, very tough. He also provided a negative Fangraph's windsor Above placement number for his team. And he had a career low average exit velocity of 82.2 miles per hour off the bat. 99% of hitters made harder contact. So even though he was 10 pounds heavier, he put on all this muscle, he wasn't hitting the ball any harder, he lost a lot of speed, and he wasn't as good defensively. So this offseason, he went back to the basics, he got faster, he's just as good now with the glove as he used to be, he's making all these game-saving catches, and he's back to being the leadoff hitter or the two-batter, depending on where him and Trey Turner end up, who can get on base, who can walk, who can make good contact, and who can make this team better. And then in right field, it'll be Kyle Schwarber. In 2020, with Chicago, 188 in 59 games with a 90, so I'll start with that, 188 in 59 games. Everybody on Chicago struggled, but it is hard to explain why the Nats went after this guy with those numbers. But then you look at the weighted runs created plus, and you saw that he had 91, which means he was only 9% less than league average. He was almost league average as a hitter. I personally think that this was the perfect pickup for the Nats. A really good power bat that the Nats have been lacking since Rendon left, since Harper left, and Schwarber can rebound. He's not great defensively, and the Nats as a team were one of the worst defensive teams in the league last year. You don't add Schwarber and expect to be a lot better in that category, but it's something Schwarber can work on. And what's most important is getting him on base with runners in scoring positions so that he can hit them in. The bench. Ryan Zimmerman expected to have a lot less played appearances with Josh Bell, but of course he started in every game so far. This is his 16th season with the Nationals. Mr. National, they call him. Carter Kaboom, an interesting story here. So he was one of the best prospects in baseball. That might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but the Nats were so high on him. Definitely the highest prospect in their system. He had a 287 average and an 847 OPS over his four minor league seasons. Came onto the scene in 2020 and was frankly just really bad offensively and defensively. In spring, he had another chance to redeem himself. He went six for 45 and struck out 17 times. The Nationals demoted him, they put him to the alternate site. And then because of all these COVID issues, they ended up bringing him back up. He pinch hit a few times in the first series. He will not be a starter when the Nats are fully healthy. He has not earned himself that role. And that is why you're going to see Harrison at second and Starling Castro at third. At the beginning of spring training, Davey Martinez and the rest of this national organization, their best hopes were that Carter Kaboom would be the opening day third baseman. And it just didn't work out that way. Luckily, all signs point towards... Kaboom, being a really hard worker, having a really good attitude, is just working really hard at finding himself again so that he can make an impact on this team. Andrew Stevenson, an outfielder who has played early, and then Alex Avila, who actually spent a lot of time in Detroit with Scherzer back in the early 2010s when Scherzer was there. So that could be a relationship to watch too. Now let's talk about this starting pitching. Definitely the strength of this team, which I feel like I haven't said a lot in these season previews. It's usually the Dodgers offense, the Padres offense, even the Blue Jays offense, whereas their pitching staff definitely can't stack up. I think the pitching is what is going to win this team games. If the offense does better than expected, then the Nats just become even more dangerous. But the Nats need to see the old versions of Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin. And by those old versions, I mean the 2019 versions where these three pitchers single-handedly brought this team to the World Series. In Game 1, Max Scherzer took the mound. Six-inning pitch. He gave up four earned runs, struck out nine. But all four of those runs came via the long ball. So that is not a great sign for him. We obviously know how dominant Mad Max can be. I'll say just a couple of his career numbers. 2,793 strikeouts. I think the 3,000 strikeout mark is a huge threshold, obviously, for Hall of Fame status. He has won three Cy Young Awards. Max Scherzer is a Hall of Famer in my books. He has three Cy Youngs. A Cy Young runner-up, he finished in third place once, and he finished in fifth place twice. Three top 10 MVP finishes, and one in the top 12. His career ERA plus is 31% better than average, and his career FIP is 315. Those are Hall of Fame numbers. Steven Strasberg, another guy who was absolutely elite in 2019. He threw 209 pitches. He was the 2019 World Series MVP that got him a long-term extension, a ton of cash, and then in 2020 he struggled with injuries. He actually had surgery to repair carpal tunnel because he had some nerve damage there. In his first outing in 2021 though, a really positive sign for the Nationals, six scoreless innings, eight strikeouts, one hit allowed. It was Strasburg's first time throwing at least five scoreless innings without giving up more than one hit since 2016. I couldn't believe that when I read that. I wasn't sure if it means it's been this long since Strasburg has been dominant or that it's a really good sign that even as Strasburg gets older and deals with more injuries, he can still be this dominant. I think it's a little bit of both. It was also his first time throwing six innings since the 2019 postseason so that is huge for the Nats if Strasburg can be the ace that so many hitters fear and then a lot of hopes ride on Patrick Corbett who struggled last year his slider which is one of the best pitches in the entirety of baseball in 2020 it only had a 38.1% whiff rate down from 51.4% in 2019. So he also needs to find that old form. The Nats no longer have Anibal Sanchez, who was a really good four option behind this one, two, three punch, obviously. You lose a little bit of steam, but Sanchez was really good. The Nats are hoping that John Lester and Joe Ross can nicely round out this rotation. John Lester, obviously, he was a side, Cy- he had three top four Cy Young finishes 2010, 2014, and 2016. He finished ninth in 2018, which we are not very far removed from. Lester is a winner. He is a three-time World Series champion, two with the Red Sox and then one with the Cubs in 2016. In 2020, he threw 61 innings, but his ERA is not anywhere close where he wanted it to be 5 Lester actually had surgery this offseason I believe the surgeons removed one of his thyroid glands because he was having energy problems. Everything was just so much harder for him. He feels much better now post-surgery. So hopefully we see some of that old luster. It won't be as hard for him to throw faster velocity. It won't be as hard for him to go deeper into games because he's just feeling much fresher. And that'll be important because Joe Ross opted out of the 2020 season. So he is a total wild card in terms of how many pitches he's going to be able to throw, how many innings he's going to be able to throw, and what his stuff will look like. With that being said, as important as the relief pitching staff is for the Nats, starters have been so dominant and starters played such a big role. And even in their World Series run... That if the starters are okay, I think it actually puts much less pressure on the bullpen to perform. With that being said, they went out and got one of the best closers in the league in Brad Hand, who led the league in saves last year. the The Indians non-tendered him. The lead leaguer, in, the league leader in saves last year, was able to be picked up by the Nats for $1 million extra than what the Indians non-tend them for. So a really weird situation. The Nats are definitely the beneficiaries because Brad Hand has elite stuff. People have talked about having concerns over his fastball velocity declining. What I have to say is that in 2020, opponents batted 152 with a 273 slugging percentage against his four-seam fastball, which averaged 91.4 miles per hour. I talked about it with Hanju Ryu. You don't have to be throwing 99 to get hitters to swing and miss. Brad Hand is the perfect embodiment of that as well. Other guys in the pen, Daniel Hudson, who was a postseason hero back in 2019. Louis Avilan will have a much bigger role this season because Will Harris who is now in his second year of a new contract that he signed after spending a bunch of years with Houston. He's on the IL. Austin Voth, Tanner Rainey will see a lot of innings. And then Eric Feta started game two. He got absolutely shelled by the Rays, uh, excuse me, by the Braves, got his first loss of the season. He gave up five earned run over one and two thirds. You're definitely not going to see him in a starter or even in an opener role when all of these Nats pitchers are back it was more so that Patrick Corbin was one of those guys who started on the COVID list and they just needed needed arms honestly at that point prospects Cade Cavalli the right-handed pitcher comes in at 95th overall on MLB's top 100 prospect list that's it Carter Kuboom was a higher Touted Prospect in the past because he has struggled so mightily on the major league stage. He is not in the top 100. The Nats farm system is not where they hoped it would be. And of course, they won a World Series two years ago. Usually teams that go out and do that don't have incredibly stocked farm systems. The Padres and the Dodgers are the anomalies there. But the Nats definitely have to improve to acquire some picks and draft properly to try and build that up. So, Pocota has the Nats at 82 and a half wins. I'm going to go just over. Yes, they are in the most competitive division. Yes, I don't have a ton of confidence in their lineup. But I do have confidence that Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin can be one of the best one, two, three punches in the league. I thought that in 2019... This team in 2019 got off to the worst, I think it was a 50-game start, of any team in history that went on to win the World Series. The Nats didn't look good at the beginning of 2019. I wouldn't say that they look as bad now, we're still so early on. But this team didn't have high expectations to go out and win the pennant two years ago, but they did because these pitchers were so good. Because, yes, they had Rendon, who they no longer have, but Juan Soto is going to keep getting better. Victor Robles, I think, is going to have a resurgent season. Trey Turner is there, and Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber are going to rake. The most important thing is for the Nats to stay healthy, first of all, and for them to find some under-the-radar heroes in that pitching staff. It could come from a guy like Joe Ross or John Lester, or it could come from a guy in the bullpen, a Daniel Hudson of 2019, who shoulders so much weight. Sean Doolittle was so good in 2019. He's not there anymore. Who's going to step up? Because Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin are going to try to do everything themselves, but they also can't pitch every single inning of every single game. They're going to need help. So I go over 82 and a half. I think the Nats are at about 84 or 85 wins. I still have them finishing third in the NL East, behind the Braves and the Mets, but ahead of the Phillies, who as I talked about yesterday, are one of the hottest teams in the league right now. The Nats right now, I think their biggest goal will be to be ahead of the Phillies. They don't have as high of a ceiling as the, Nat, uh, as the Mets or the Braves, but they definitely have a higher floor because of all the young talent they have, and mostly because they have Juan Soto. I personally don't think Juan Soto is going to be the National League MVP, but I could easily be proven wrong. And no matter what, he is going to be one of the most exciting players to watch for the next decade. So that'll wrap up my season preview of the Washington Nationals. Once again, thank you to every single person who listened to 30 teams in 30-ish days. That's what I'm going to call it now. As always, make sure to check out the link in this bio for any previous season previews that you might have missed. Make sure and go through and listen to all 30 of them now that the season is underway. See how I did. Go leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to let me know what you think. Thank you so much for listening. And that will conclude 30 Teams and 30 Days.